Hello, and welcome to These Are the Days of Our Podcast. I'm Jen. And I'm Lisa, and today we're celebrating National Pet Month, which is celebrated in May. How many pets have you had, Jennifer? I grew up with a lot of animals in my life, but I was never very good at pets. We had multiple dogs. We had Sparky, which was like this fluffy, beautiful dog that lived in our family before I did. And then we had Trixie and Rex. And if I've forgotten a dog, I'm I'm sorry. Where did they go? Well, I feel like country dogs have a hard life. Oh. I think... At least one of them got hit by a car sort of things. We then also had a bunch of cats. And I'm not a huge fan of cats. I also am allergic to cats now. But I used to have cat petting gloves because <laughs> I was a little bit afraid of our cats for good reason. And so I'd like put on my cat petting gloves before handling the cats And then one of the most recent cats that my sister had, she named after my boyfriend at the time. Wait, which? So it was named Lukey. And (laughs) that is so weird, Allison. It's super weird. And this cat honestly was evil and would just like stare at me with murder stares. That's funny because Luke is not the most evil of your ex-boyfriends. I know, right? <laughs> so uh, this cat was like genuinely evil. And and on the topic of weird pets, we had several rabbits and one of them was named Sarah Nibble, but it was a boy <laughs> rabbit. It was a gender fluid rabbit, Jennifer. Gender fluid rabbit were very progressive yeah. in the in the 80s. Oh my goodness. We had a fit a legendary fish experience where like I really wanted a fish and then I realized how gross fish were like cleaning out the bowl and stuff is like genuinely disgusting. So then I gave it to one of my sisters who then gave it like every single birthday you'd be like giving this fish back and forth. <laughs> That's amazing. So, we were very caring and loving fish parents, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> What about you? What pets have you had in your life? So we only had one dog, our family dog, who belonged to my parents before they had us. And I think this is a good example about how pain for a dog does not equal intelligence in a dog. So they had, so they paid <laughs> lots of money for this purebred Britney Spaniel in the 80s to be a hunting dog mm. for my dad. And... It A is obviously just super high energy and had to run around all the time. And then B was like a little bit stupid, mm-hmm. but he was our family mm-hmm. dog up until I was like, well, eight or something. It was sad. And then no more pets, even though I wanted a bunny for so long. And Andrew says, now I can't have a bunny because their pee smells. And I think I'm just going to get myself one. That's a side note. <laughs> Andrew, don't listen to yeah. this part. There's going to be a secret bunny. Yeah. So then I, in high school, I got lots of fish, beta fish. And then one time, 
My okay, my aunt from Venice got this like really fancy octopus thing, glass floating thing that went into the fish tank. And I was like, oh, this is so beautiful when the light hits it, the colors and the bowl look so nice. And you know, Venice is famous for their glass. And I put it in, and then my fish committed suicide in it. What? Fish suicide. <gasps> it like ran ran its head in between the legs and then it died. It was really sad. I was very upset watching this happen. <laughs> That's so intense. Yeah. So I had a lot of fish who I named only old man names. So we had Ebenezer, Alfred, Leroy. You know, really good. I love all of those. Those are great names. And then in university, we had a, a hamster at 282 Albert <laughs> because Davy's boyfriend had Peeny Nubbins, who, the hamster, which they thought was a boy. So they named it Petey Numbins, but it had little hamster babies. And so we took one and it was so mean it would bite everyone. So we named it Sid Vicious. <laughs> and who could forget? And now I have a puppy. Yes. The carrots. The little carrot who's not so little anymore. She is 11. And I very famously got her in South Korea. You need to tell us her origin story because really the main reason we're doing an episode on pets is mostly about Carrot. And yeah. But she's a pretty unwilling guest. She is just oh. digging at the carpet right now and not even participating in the conversation at all. Like a dummy. She's, she's very famously my dog. I'm quite obsessed with her. All my social media handles are named after her. Everything is named after her. She's the biggest part of my personality. And I got her when I was living in South Korea when she was just a little puppy. And she fit in the palm of my hand because she was only two kilos. Oh, so cute. She's just, she could have been carrot soup because they eat dogs, but they didn't Mm -hmm. eat her. I saved her. Then she's, so she's lived in South Korea. Then she moved to Canada on like a 17 hour flight and entered Canada and saw a squirrel and was like, what the is that? What is that? (laughs) Also other dogs, which she hadn't like met in two years and didn't really wasn't into them. Now she's a British puppy. Yeah. She, she has lived in more continents than most people. Yeah. She's very international jet setting. Very cultured. Yeah. Yeah, and very, like, mean. (laughs) I think to qualify that, I feel like she's a little bit more weird than mean. For example, when we're out in the world, Carrot just ignores dogs. She has no patience for other dogs, which I feel like is a really good quality for a dog. She's just like, I don't want to deal with your shenanigans. The, like, little puppies will come up to her and she's like, no, thank you. And she'll just kind of, like, prance away. Yeah, she's sassy. If they get too insistent, though, that's when her mean side comes out and she gets a little growly. But I think she's just establishing healthy boundaries. She's just like, no, thank you. I don't want to hang out with you. And when an enthusiastic pup insists on being in her personal space, she's just like... I'm okay with that. So I feel like she's a role model for all of us. So really, maybe she's the most emotionally stable thing we have in our life. Oh, almost 100% true. (laughs) She knows how to set boundaries. Yeah. She's like, you know what? I'm done with you. Yeah. Now I'm going to tell you off. Exactly. Exactly. Who knew? 
National Pet Month is to raise awareness for responsible pet ownership. In the UK, six days ago, Finn's Law was passed. So this is like a little going to turn into a sad part of the pod. Breaking sad news. A police dog was stabbed while pursuing a suspect quite a long time ago. And so now Finn's, and his name was Finn. And he unfortunately passed away. And the police officer, the owner, championed for increased penalties for things like dog fighting, abuse of puppies and kittens, illegally cropping dogs' ears, or like gross negligence. And in the UK, it just went up from six months to five years. So is a... Sad origin story, but like really important law to protect the welfare of of animals in the UK. Yeah, Yeah, of of the sweet pups. Pets should be assured of having all of these things, but sometimes like pet owners don't have all of the information that they need in order to like properly care for their pets or sometimes there's just like bad people that are mean to animals, which is not okay. So many people have gotten pets in this COVID pandemic, which obviously has a lot of good things coming out of it, which we can talk about. But it's also like you have to just make sure that you know how to take care of a pet and you're providing pets with these things. In the pandemic in the UK, well, I love making you guess things. So how many... Mm -hmm. Pets were acquired last year. Um, so I think I read that in the EU, there are 240 million pets, mm-hmm. just in general. So I would say maybe a million more pets. No, 3.2 million households acquired a pet in one year in the pandemic. That's huge. Yeah. That's a huge increase. And like, not shockingly at all, it led to... A pet food shortage. <laughs> and I was like, because I found all these stats because these um, Mars is a huge maker of pet food. Like the chocolate bar? Yeah, the company owns like pedigree. Well, they better never mix up that packaging. No. They posted all these stats because they were in a panic because there was an actual pet food shortage. So in one of the more least understandable statements of 2020 would be pet food is the new toilet paper. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And also, apparently, 60% of people who got pets were under 35. Wow. So it was like all young people. It is like a millennial ownership of pets is almost double what baby boomers had. So I think there is that stereotype of millennials as like dog moms and puppies as children and Mm. uh, paw parents and, and so on and so forth. But it's real. Well, I'm at the stage still where um, my my pets are my plant family. And I also just recently acquired worms. So. Oh, God. <laughs> we do not need to get into this. But that's like the level of stability I have in my lifestyle is that I can nurture my plant babies and potentially care for a colony of worms. But I don't know that I can take on the full responsibility of a of a pet. No, no. Yeah, no, definitely not. Like a big thing that's being talked about by the RSPCA is they think there's going to be like a post-lockdown crisis when people go back to work and these 
these pets have abandonment oh, for issues. sure. Because so, like, if you got a pet a year yeah. ago, that pet has never had to be alone. You've never left yeah. for work for eight hours and come back. Yeah. And no. I think it's really no. interesting because, like, as you mentioned, there's the positive side of things where a lot of people that got pets or sometimes called companion animals found that the animals were a source of comfort during the lockdown. And even some of the like practical things like going outside, going for walks, a lot of different countries had kind of relaxed rules regarding you were allowed to go outside to take your pets for a walk, even in really strict lockdowns. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of people have probably found that the detrimental psychological effects of lockdown have been mitigated by having a pet. But I think that you're right in that there's a lot of concern about like whether or not all of these pets that are properly cared for now, but then also what happens when the world opens up again and you all of a sudden have a pet and you didn't really think about the ramifications yeah, of that. Yeah, and it's like how a lot of humane societies and animal shelters won't let you adopt animals around like seasons so that you can't get a buddy at Easter and like you should and they strongly suggest don't get puppies at Christmas because and you're like, is there going to be a large spike when the world opens up and people don't want their pets anymore because they want to go do things. And that's a little sad. I know so many people that wanted to get pets and they couldn't because there's been like such a surge that yeah. like there's no pets available to adopt. And let's bring up the other like horrible thing is that there's been a huge increase in like dog nappings and pet stealing, which is like so awful yeah. to think about just like someone stealing your pet because money can be made to sell these pets. Yeah, that I can't even think about that. <laughs> I'm just going to ignore that because I cannot think about a carrot being stolen. So as you know, as you, as because you're there, we often go for mm -hmm. little coffee walks or like walks to exciting excursions like mm -hmm. the pharmacy. The grocery store. But we always need to alternate like only one person could go in because one person has to stay with Carrot because she cannot get stolen or else like everything will fall apart in the world. Yeah. And one time when you were at the pharmacy, there was this other woman that had come there with her dog and she was obviously like very afraid. So I was just like, don't worry, I got this. I'm like, I'll protect it against the dog nappers. If dog nappers come, I will fight for your cute little Winston. I would... A, just love to see you fight because I think that would be hilarious. Well, yeah. Um, but I feel like if anything was to rile you up enough where you could exude any physical force that hurts someone, it would be dog nappers. Well, so then when this lady came out, she was saying in the area, the part of the dog napping ring has been women pushing like strollers or they call them prams in England and taking dogs. And I was just like, oh my goodness. So like every single person walking by, I was like looking them down and being like, is that a pram? Is that a, is that a lady with a stroller? <laughs> Warning signs. <laughs> I love that you're like, like glaring at new mothers you're like yeah. oh, did you just have a baby or, or are you trying to steal a dog <laughs> yeah exactly that is what's happening yeah this links to the idea that for most people they consider pets as part of the family well obviously like carrots my child 
I'm not even really phased by that comment because it's so obvious because there's no other possible answer. There's only one answer. She is part of the family. What do you think uh, the top pets in the world are? I'm so inclined to think that it's dogs and cats, but that might be like very culturally based. Like I think that dogs and cats are really popular pets in like Europe and North America, but I don't know that that's the case everywhere. No, it is the case everywhere. (laughs) So it goes dogs, cats, birds, rabbits, and then fish. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. I would never get a bird though, obviously. We did have a bird also in one of our many pet things. It was like a bird that was given to us when one of our great aunts was getting married and her new husband didn't want the bird. Very weird. But they are pretty smelly to have in the house. They're just like pooping on paper. That's just what they do. Yeah, because they're like the... That's... That's why they're the worst animal, because why do they shit where they eat? I just, I don't understand why people like birds. And, like, my mom hates when I say that, because my nana, her mom, was, like, an avid bird watcher. And, like, my God, was the loveliest grandmother and, like, the best woman ever. But I can't like birds just because nanny liked birds. I think that's okay. Why did why do you like something that poos where it eats? Okay? Because that's like okay. basic okay. hygiene 101. Okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Confirmed. I'm not gonna buy you a pet bird for Christmas. And if you get a pet bird, I'm going to release it. <laughs> well, let's uh, the birds in Hampstead Heath. Let's, yeah, the parakeets. Yeah. So it's really a weird phenomenon. But in North London, there is like a fleet, a flock of these. Like, they are in um, all the parks. The, now in they Hyde are. Park. Yeah. 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 I think they started in Hyde Park. Well, that's the thing. It's like a mystery of how they started. Oh, yeah. So in North London, you wouldn't expect there to be tropical birds. This isn't exactly a tropical environment. But you can sometimes look up into a tree and it will just be filled with these green parakeets. And yeah, there is this mystery of like, was it just someone's domestic pets that got out and they've just like taken over? Or there are some urban legends about escapes from film sets and like someone I've read that like Jimi Hendrix maybe released the first parakeet. There's there's so many theories. Yeah. But it's good. Circling back to pets as part of the family. One of our favorite things is attachment theory. <laughs> and <laughs> so attachment theory is is really the underlying theory about like how we relate to other people in our lives. But there's been some people that have looked into pets as an attachment figure and how like children's social and emotional development might be enhanced by having a pet because you can become strongly attached to a pet and actually develop healthy attachment patterns to a pet because they give like unconditional love they're always there etc etc and so encouraging like having pets as a child may actually increase your like cognitive and emotional development which i thought was like really interesting no way i didn't know that so this study that they did in scotland showed that 
having a pet facilitated developing compassion and caring and friendship behaviors. And also it facilitated having positive attitudes towards all animals as well. So it seemed to be like very pro-social in that like having a pet allowed you to understand that animals need to be protected. You'd also think, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure this wasn't studied, but that because unfortunately pets do not live as long as humans that especially in western culture and cultures that are so death adverse and so adverse to talking about death it almost would normalize or um, open a conversation about grieving and death about when your pet passes away and I was like that would be so interesting and it was like if you had a child a pet as a child are you able to handle grief and in like intense grief later in life because your pet died. Oh my goodness. Okay. So there's two actual like follow-ups to this because I find this super interesting. Is it real science to back up my thoughts? There's real science about this. So Am I a scientist? Are you are you science? Yeah. So one of them is looking at if like Losing a pet actually means that you go through the DSM, so the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, Mm -hmm. which um, says like whether or not you have a mental disorder. And so now there's a grief disorder included in DSM-5. And the characteristics of the grief disorder are things, as you might expect, depression, loneliness, sleep difficulties, problems with coping. And they wanted to see if like those who lost pets qualified as like experiencing DSM-5 standard grief. And they're like, of course it does. People genuinely go through grief at the loss of a pet, which I was like, okay, that's obviously like carrot is up there with like husband's soulmates, best friends. Mm -hmm. Like I like her more than most people in the world. Then 99.9% of people. The thing that I found was way more interesting. There was a study in Japan about pet eulogies. (laughs) And okay, this is like, like a horrifying title, but it's so good. It was called In Praise of Dead Pets. And it's an investigation into the content and function of human style pet eulogies. And so it's talking about how we have very few socially recognized death customs for bereavement by pet. (laughs) And that, but as we just discussed, the adverse like psychological and mental effects are the same as if you experience any other kind of loss. So one of the reasons why we give eulogies is this like, it's a tradition of celebrating the lives of the deceased and it allows the mourner to like publicly validate their loss. And also it can facilitate the process of letting go. And so in this study, they looked at the therapeutic value of writing a eulogy for a pet. And basically, they found that the content of pet eulogies was very much the same. It was like celebrating fond memories and happy times together and just like having that moment of time to reminisce about this. And it also provided this like feeling of validation about like your 
pet and your bond with your pet and just acknowledging that like you are grieving this loss. And so the authors and I was just like, this is so great. They recommend actually having these like pet funerals. Yeah, pet funerals so that we can actually like acknowledge the grief that you're going through. And then going through the process of writing a eulogy may actually be a really positive process for a pet owner. So it's like you should just grieve a pet and go through that mm. the healthy processes of grief and bereavement. Mm-hmm. That makes complete sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, we need to get off of this topic. Yeah, I guess, I'm, I'm just ignoring you at this point yeah, because that's- <laughs> obviously that's my attachment style is avoidant. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Do you think that having a pet makes you healthier? Yeah, obviously. I was like, how many times have you were you like, I haven't left the house in three days in this pandemic? And I was like, I have to leave the house every day because my dog needs to go pee. It's true. I did see in the BBC that in this past year, 74% of people mm-hmm. said that their pet, pet helped with their mental health while they were coping with the lockdown from coronavirus. So like, I and I would 100% agree that carrot was very helpful mm-hmm. to my mental health. Yeah. I took care of carrot for about a month when you were away during the last year. And I think that the structure of having to wake up in the morning, leave put on some clothes, leave the house and like having to attend to her very basic needs of like putting water there and giving her food and like sometimes giving her some nice cuddles. It really like added a structure to my day that I hadn't experienced in months. And I really tried to bring this back home with me after I left. And I was trying to implement a a, like treat myself as my own dog. (laughs) like requirements where like I need to give my like the basic requirements are like I should take myself out for a walk like maybe I don't need to pee in the bushes but like I should take myself out for a walk every day and I should you know drink some water and eat some food and like those are some of the things that like you do naturally when you have a puppy but you don't necessarily do for yourself so yeah sometimes I'm just like I just need to be like my own my own dog (laughs) wait did you look up anything about the history of pets i did just like a sentence so i did start by looking into like when did we start keeping animals as pets and apparently it happened even before the development of agriculture that people started seeking the companionship of animals and so they estimate that horse and dog domestication started between 11,000 and 16,000 years ago for dogs and horse domestication about 5,000 years ago. And cats about 8,000 years ago. Yeah, Pets have been around forever and they're in every single society. I think the domestication of dogs had like a lot of practical purposes. They would be like, guard dogs or hunting or herding and so i mean it's hard to know twelve thousand years ago if they were considered farm animals or if they were actually considered companions from that point it would have moved on to like have an affection for something 
in mm-hmm. that is constantly around you. I feel like that's a, such an interesting line between what's considered a pet and what's considered just an animal, even if it's an animal that's around all of the time. Like we had chickens. They were never pets. Yeah. And but we also had a bird in the house. So like they're both birds. Yeah. But one of them is a pet and one of them isn't a pet. And that line is really interesting. Like what is something a working animal and when does it become a pet? And I was like, obviously dogs did at some points. And then I don't know what the practical use of a cat would have been, but maybe to get the mice out of your cave. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like maybe that. Maybe. Maybe that. Well, I did read by the time ancient Greece came around, dogs were 100% companion animals and they were used in temples because they perceived ability to cure illness. There was obviously a line, but it must just be like human nature. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Interesting. By the time the Middle Ages hit, pet ownership was definitely more acceptable and we can't talk about history without talking about art. Art, yes. Because we're artsy. These are just some paintings I know with pets in them. Renoir painted cats and had lots of cats. Apparently, Ai Weiwei, that currently famous artist, has 30 cats, which is a lot. Um, But in the Renaissance... Our favorite one. We have, okay, so Raphael painted this painting, Madonna of the Goldfinch, which shows John the Baptist showing Jesus a goldfinch as like a sign of his future crucifixion. Oh, okay. Cool. Symbolism. Going back at the kind of end of the medieval um, era, there was... There's a really famous painting, which is actually in the National Gallery, so we could go see it, called the Arnolfini Portrait by Jan van Eyck, and it was 1434, and that one has a type of Bichon dog in, in the front. And so I know in that painting that it is a symbol of the couple's desire to have a child, and in the medieval times, it was really popular for women to have lap dogs, and they were usually a gift from the husband to the wife, and they were con- they did reflect like wealth and social status. But she, in this painting, she is a, this dog might represent her desire to have a kid. And then in the medieval times, they they uh, refer to loyalty, faith. And fidelity personified. So, yeah. So you're being very faithful. Good. Good for them. And then back to the Renaissance, there's Leonardo's Lady with an Ermine, which is in Poland, which has a really cool story, obviously being stolen by the Nazis because they stole all the art. Still, Random fact that you have to know, 60,000 works still missing or destroyed. We don't even know. What was the movie that I I, I don't know movie names, but about the Nazis stealing art? Like a documentary? No, no, no. Like a Hollywood. Oh, the monuments? Yes. That's a good one. Okay, it's not that like historically accurate, Jen. <laughs> so like, obviously, like I, but like okay. it has Clooney okay. in it, so you're gonna okay. watch it. So because... like, moving on. Yeah, no, it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, but Lady with an Ermine is cool. It has an Ermine, even though the Ermine is obviously 
too big to be a real ermine, but it they all symbolize. That's the cool thing is like all the pets symbolize something. I had to, I just Googled lady with an ermine because I, first of all, I didn't really know what an ermine was. Oh, it's a weasel. I've definitely seen this painting before. Like it's in, uh, it's in Krakow. Or Krakow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like it is very famous. Yeah. And it only, it's also famous because it was given back by the Americans found it in a German's home and gave it back to Poland. It still wasn't considered a Leonardo. It was only like tests and tests later. I think in the 80s, it was finally decided that it was a Leonardo, which is pretty cool. But the hmm. ermine is like a traditional symbol of purity and moderation. And Leonardo wrote, moderation curbs all vices and that ermine would face death rather than soil its white coat so it's like pure and and also the the person they think who is in the painting was a mistress of the duke of milan who was uh leonardo's patron and his nickname was the white ermine so hence the ermine that makes sense. And she's just like gently caressing him on his her lap. So like double entendres. <laughs> yeah. But yet so pure and moderate. Yeah. So pure and moderate at the same time. So and then I'll give you no, I'll just give some special shout outs to some other famous pet paintings because everyone knows dogs playing poker. Who's it by? uh Coolidge Cassius Coolidge so it's actually it is a painting first it was in 1894 it was a painting but then there was 16 oil paintings commissioned to advertise cigars and then contemporary work you have the balloon dog by Jeff Koons it's a, a famous sculpture in 1995 and yeah searched a bunch of stuff about like the ecological and environmental impact or i also have a few random things about like pets and tech so which would you prefer to hear about the other i will just never tell you about because we don't have time um ecological good okay cool so there's a couple of things to consider when we think about the like ecological impact of having a pet because it's actually a lot more significant than a lot of people think oh it's really bad <laughs> It's real bad. <laughs> so one of the very direct costs is in the illegal pet trade, especially with exotic pets. So reptiles and amphibians are under threat in a lot of countries, and many are illegally exported because the demand for things like tortoises or snakes or very interesting looking amphibians is really high. So that's a direct cost because people are just going in and taking um, animals from the wild, which is obviously a threat to the wild populations. But then also, we talked about the es potential escape of the wild parakeets. Mm. So the escape of pets into the wild can disrupt an ecosystem as well. So the parakeets are actually a lot bigger and more aggressive than many of the local birds. And that's probably why they've been so successful in taking over all of the London parks. And so this can be really problematic. And 
pets can become invasive species and disrupt like entire ecosystems in that way after either they've been deliberately let loose or they've escaped. Okay, but can I talk about how pets have actually become scary invasive species? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I feel like one of the best examples is in Florida when someone's They don't even know when let out Burmese pythons in Florida and because it's a swamp area and warm and close enough to their natural habitat, they just grew and their populations bloomed and they have to do like an annual cull of Burmese pythons in Florida. That's horrifying. That's so scary. Okay, so the biggest one ever is 18.9 feet. Oh, so that's horrifying. Yeah, I have to say that fish are probably the most invasive species when letting fish out in waters that they're not meant for. As the sister of a fish biologist, gotta, gotta get the fish in. Yeah, that's just a shout out to Matthew. Just have to know that like of the top 10 most invasive species, nine of them are fish, so... Uh, So then there's also the mortality inflicted by pets. This is particularly for dogs and cats because they can directly prey on other things that live in the area. So how many species extinctions can be directly linked to cats? Oh, I don't know. I don't want I don't like this. No, I don't want the sad stuff anymore. I want it. Okay. 63 species have been extinct because of cats and 11 species because of dogs. And this is globally. And they think that in the UK, pet cats kill over 275 million prey items annually. And most of these are native species like birds and bunny rabbits. Okay, some notable birthdays from roughly now-ish. What day is it? May 5th, we have Karl Marx was born. Mm. Uh, fit buried very close to us. Very In fit. the Highgate Cemetery. Yeah. Sigmund Freud, May 6th. Whoa. Yeah. I've seen his couch. It's yeah. in the Freud Center. Yeah. It looks like a couch. It I've doesn't look there. very comfortable. I've been there. Yeah, I've been I've there. there. I've, I've seen been that. there. Yeah. I just put this one in here because he's always on the crossword puzzles, but Willie Mays, who had the record for the most stolen bases and was one of the very first black players allowed into Major League Baseball, which is like a whole other conversation about how they only just let those records in from the black leagues of like back in the day and I was like they were significantly better baseball players like Babe Ruth would have not even stood a chance if he went in that league that's a side note Willie Mays born May 6th and then we have Catherine the Great Mm -hmm. um, Empress of all of Russia May 2nd and Ava Perone very famously the first lady of Argentina and Subject Don't of... cry for me, yeah. Argentina. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can tell you a few other things you might want to celebrate. A Museum Lover's Day, which is on May 5th, as is the National Day of Reason, 
and Cartoonist Day. May 6th has a few good ones. It's No Homework Day, and it is also Tuba Day. So um, <laughs> just be glad I didn't embrace the Tuba Day and try and procure a tuba for this episode, because you know I would be tempted to. <laughs> I'm sure Emma is most glad. <laughs> Definitely. So yeah, lots of things going on. Happy May. Happy Pet Day. And happy Decowitz month yeah it's really just an episode for Kara. Yeah. oh sweet puppy she looks mad at me <laughs> yeah okay i'll talk to you later okay bye okay bye, bye. These are the days, oh yes, these are the days.